0: From our changing bodies, to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and ageing at work and in society, my mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Stress, burnout and probably really overgiving, overcaring, And burning the candle at both ends and a bit in the middle is very common among women today, and particularly as we get into midlife and we're juggling so much. My guest today is somebody who is very focused on helping us to live a more energized life and find a way to beat the burnout. Welcome to the show, Chris Basiliadis, and she is the owner of Priority Wellness That really is focused on helping women to have burnout
1: proof living. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much, Clarissa. I am so thrilled to be with you here today and discuss this very important topic. And it's just becoming a lot more common, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, it's funny. You would think, so we're recording this a little over a year into the pandemic, but I can remember being a couple months into the pandemic and someone said to me, oh, so with all these people working from home now, burnout's probably not much of an issue anymore, right? And I looked at them like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it depends on your living situation, you know? but I know a lot of people for whom, especially if working from home was new to you, or if you had small children, and now you went from having everybody at home at the same time, that causes a bunch of different changes in how you're organizing your days how your days are spent, where your attention's going, and that's pulling at us in all kinds of directions. So yeah, it's become a unique challenge over the past year plus.
0: Yes. And I think that came through in a recent report on women at work from McKinsey, just how stressed, anxious, and heading towards serious burnout women were. I mean, the stats were really quite shocking.
1: Yeah. And I think not enough women are seeing that. So they feel that how they like, oh, I, I should be super women. I should be able to handle all this. And the reality is, no, we're human beings. We're not human doings. We're not robots. We need ways to pause periodically and regroup so we can handle all the responsibilities that are pulling at us throughout the day. And if we don't periodically do that, we're going to burn ourselves out.
0: Yes, we are. And I think it creeps up, doesn't it, on us?
1: It can. Yes. Burnout typically doesn't happen overnight. It's a progressive evolution, I guess you could say. And a definition that I refer to a lot is one by uh, Dr. Philippe Weston, who's a psychiatrist. But it's in three parts. And The first part is a syndrome of depleted emotional, physical, and cognitive energies. So you start feeling depleted either emotionally, physically, or cognitively. But if that sticks around for a while, then you can end up in the second part, which is having cynical attitudes. And then if you stick around in that part for a while, you can ultimately end up feeling ineffective and incompetent in your work, in your life, in your role as a caregiver, parent, daughter, mother, what have you. In my work, I try to catch people even before they get to the cognitive uh, depletion so they can effectively turn things around. But yeah, it, is, it does sneak up on you in a variety of different ways.
0: Yeah, and I suppose if you're not paying attention to the way you're managing your life, if you are not in touch with the messages that your body is sending you, it sort of progresses in its own journey. And as you said, it, it can definitely creep up. We don't sort of go from being great to being burnt out in a short period. It's sort of, as you said, and it's that brain fog, isn't it, that it starts off with?
1: Yeah, brain fog or just emotionally and physically drained. And yeah, and it's important. I want to underscore what you said, Clarissa, in terms of we can kind of end up being on autopilot With all the things that are on our to-do list, like, okay, let me check this thing off. Let me check this next thing off and be in react mode a lot. And if we don't come up for air and look at how is this working for us? Am I being effective? Is there a better way to function than having Zoom meetings back to back to back to back, for example? A lot of times we just don't stop and take a pause and ask ourselves, is there a better way that we can handle this?
0: Absolutely. And I think this, you you drew a really important point of this zooming and people talking about being zoomed out and that they've sat, as you said, all day looking at a screen and particularly hard if you're at home with family and in this lockdown periods, we've got children jumping in and bombarding you and in the middle of it all and it's a lot to manage or you've worked all day and then you start homeschooling. I mean, that has been the reality
1: for so many women. Yes, it has. And I think there was an article that was just out this past week uh, from Forbes magazine and it talked about a recent study which showed, and it's something that I tell my clients all the time, is that we need to take periodic brain breaks. Our brain's Need a break. Ideally, I typically recommend every 50 to 90 minutes. But the crux of what this article was suggesting is instead of booking hour meetings back to back to back, go with 50 minutes. I think one of the quotes in the article was 50 is the new 60, but they were talking about meeting time. So you can have 45 or 50 minutes for a meeting instead of an hour to give yourself a 10 to 15 minute break for the next meeting, uh, before you have to be in the next Zoom. So when in that break, you can physically pull yourself away from your workspace and do things like use the restroom, have a glass of water, check on the kids or the pets, what have you. But you're not doing anything with technology. You're physically moving your body, not necessarily exercise, but it could be. You might take a few stretches. You might do a bunch of squats or knee bends or just bounce up and down. But our brain functions better when we have those breaks. It's equivalent to a marathon runner. When a marathon runner's running, they don't run the entire time. They run at different paces. They stop at pit stops along the way to get some water. And if it's cold, they get a blanket to hydrate. So, and that helps them stay with it for the long haul. And we need to do the same we need to bring that same sort of mindset to our daily work days of giving ourselves periodic breaks from our workspace so our brain can recharge. We really want to avoid, Clarissa, getting it to the point where it's. if you think of your brain having kind of a built-in fuel gauge, we want it to avoid getting all the way to empty Because we're no good when it's empty. So if we can take those breaks, like I said, about every 50 to 90 minutes, I typically advise people, play with what works for you. Use your phone's phone's alarm as a timer that you periodically just get up and move around and away from your space. And you'll be amazed at how just that little slice of time is going to help you function better, be more alert, and be able to problem solve and innovate better.
0: Yes, absolutely. Totally. And one of my teachers, she says, take a break before you break, which is a great saying. And you're right. 45, 50 minutes feels good. And normally, I suppose when we're in an office environment, we tend to have a meeting. And even if we have one close by, you might get up and walk to the next meeting room. We've got different level of sensory input because we can see people you know, that hear them. It's it's a very different environment than this just screen time.
1: Yes. And I saw a headline today, and I didn't get to read the whole article, but one of the tips that it gave was to, if you find yourself in Zoom meetings also, is to periodically take yourself off your own self-view, so you're not looking at yourself. And, and, and that, it sounded like that was another neurological thing to kind of save your brain a little bit, so you're not looking straight at yourself, you're looking at other people. So look into using that feature on Zoom as well.
0: I think I, like you, briefly saw that and thought, oh, that's interesting. But tech has a huge impact, doesn't it, a huge factor within burnout in general?
1: Oh, it is. And I say this often, just because we have the ability to be connected 24-7 doesn't mean we have to do it. <laughs> and especially with folks for whom working from home has become a new thing, this past year, what's happened a lot is for folks who previously commuted to work, that forced having built-in breaks from work. You had a nice distinction from your home to going to your workday, and then another separation when you finished your workday and driving home. Well, that commute is lost. So now if we want to create some transition time, we need to enforce that for ourselves, what that looks like. So it's I find it's very important to make sure that you're, you're bookending your days in a helpful way. What helps you wind up in a way that f- helps you feel ready to take on the day? And then what helps you wind down at the end of your work day? So then you can be at your best for yourself. If you, if you live on your own or for the folks that you share your household with. Versus just deliberately, like, well, you know, getting out of bed and turning, looking right at your phone, or, or opening up your laptop, or, and vice versa, like you're done with work, and then you, you know, automatically communicate with the rest of the folks that you live with, and there's no kind of break in between. So, I'm a huge advocate of that.
0: Yes, getting away from the constant screen time, and the, and the phone has a lot to do with that,
1: doesn't it? Oh, yeah, we. Have become conditioned to when we're bored or when we're waiting for something or someone, we'll just go ahead and grab our phones and start glancing down and scrolling. And that can be a helpful habit to be aware of and witness. So I typically cha- challenge people if you feel kind of overconsumed by your technology, do things like notice when you go to grab your phone when you're bored or when you're waiting for someone and do something else. Look around the room neurologically it can help to take what's called a panoramic view so if you can't leave your your workspace for the moment and you were about to go grab your phone instead of grabbing your phone just look around the room slowly that is one way to help reset your brain better yet if you can get outside go outside and look out at the horizon, How, and you don't need to be on the coast or, or near the beach or, or whatever, but just look out as far as you can. And again, just take a panoramic view around you, and that helps to neurologically reset as well. So I guess the, the thing to remember is when you're tempted to look down, look up, <laughs> look up and around you. Because there's always something else to see and pay attention to, and versus getting caught up in our phone and and potentially worst case scenario end up doom scrolling over and over again.
0: Yes. And I think that it's so easy to do that. And I notice I find it tiring to look at my phone. You know, I don't mind like if I'm reading something that I'm interested in, but a lot of people are on WhatsApp and I think, how can they be on here for hours? What are they doing on here? You know, it's. I find it exhausting, actually, and I'm going to admit this to the listeners, That I actually removed Facebook app from my phone, so I don't look at it. So I have to be deliberate. If I want to look at Facebook, then I go onto the website, which means that I only go on there maybe 10 minutes once a day. And I've taken off a lot of social media that I had on there because I was just tempted to look at it. And it doesn't mean that I have any aversion to these things, but I've just done things like that and I've taken away a lot of the notifications. So there isn't that temptation to think, oh, I wonder who sent me a message or liked something. I just took all of that off. And that has helped me to be far less engaged with this phone.
1: Those are some terrific practices. Yeah. To periodically audit your phone and really be discerning in terms of the applications that you have on there and what notifications can you remove. For me, I removed my texting notifications years ago, my email notifications years ago on my phone, and it's freed up so much. Just think of the energy you will free up and the time and attention you will free up from doing those things and doing things like putting your phone on airplane mode for when you need focused time to work on a task, put your phone on airplane mode, move it out of arm's reach so you're not tempted to grab it keeping it outside of your bed, you know, have no phone zone, no phone zones or periods of time, like no phones at the meal table or at mealtime, no phone in your bedroom. So there are a variety of, no, no, no looking at work email after a certain period of time at night or before a certain time in the morning. Those are all techniques that can help you in, in kind of weaning yourself off the technology.
0: Yeah, and just off screen time in general, so that you're getting, as you said, these breaks where you're doing something different with your brain than constantly taking in more and more information that you're not taking in anyway, to be to be fair.
1: Yeah, we can be the gatekeepers of what we take in. Yeah, I mean we haven't even touched on we talked about social media, but we haven't even talked about news. I mean news can taking in news can be a huge drain. And so really, you know, it's it's one thing to be informed and it's another thing to feel submerged from all from all the news that's out there. So again, I just advocate to folks to really be discerning in terms of, you know, what's really necessary for you to take in to be informed and then beyond that let go of.
0: Yes. And I think particularly at this time, I mean, right now, you could go down into a rabbit hole, horrible as it is, what's happening in India
1: and Ugh, yeah heartbreaking.
0: You know how many covid yeah it's heartbreaking and the number of people you know checking the covid stats and this and that and you just have to let some of that go because beyond knowing what's going on
1: in the world then we're not able to do an awful lot. Right, and that can be hard. I mean we we we're, we're human beings, we're we're empathetic creatures, we're caring people. So yeah, you could you can have a, as much empathy as you can for that situation and try to help, whether you help mentally or or do something to a philanthropic organization that calls to you. And it takes some techniques and some grounding to work hard to make sure we're not distracted by those things.
0: Absolutely. I want to take you back to something you talked about, which was that kind of starting and ending the day well. That feels to me like very much about creating a beginning of a work-life balance where not only are you having the breaks in the day, but you're also having a sort of work is a space in your life and then other things are around it.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love how you position that. In general, Clarissa, I'm not a huge fan of the term work-life balance for a number of reasons. I feel like when some people say they want work-life balance, that comes from feeling frenetic in their lives and if you come from a place of frenzy, you're just going to create more frenzy. So that would be number one. Number two, it's not like half of our life is work and half of our life is this thing called life. Work is a part of life and there's it's, it's one slice and there's many other slices of life. There's family, there's friends, there's things we do for fun, for fitness, for education. You could probably come up with a bunch of different slices. So I feel like that kind of gets lost a little bit too. And so those are some of the reasons why it's more like having a sense of harmony, I think, in your day. And it's not, and again, it's not a 50-50 thing. And because I feel like sometimes people feel like, well, it's not attainable because I can't do it 50-50. Well, that's not the point. The idea is to have your life in harmony in such a way that you're feeling good about how you're using your time and your energy. And you feel like it's focused on... The things that matter most to you and are most important to you and that it's not too excessive overall, one way or the other. Yeah, you might have some weeks where you work more or work less, but it ultimately all harmonizes for you. So that's kind of my take on, on work life balance. And regarding the kind of the book ending your day, sure, you can look at that as, a, as an aspect of giving yourself that harmony and that energy. And I find so often people. Talk in terms of, oh, I'll recover from my work on the weekend, or I'll recover to my next, on my next vacation or holiday. And we don't have to wait until the weekend or the holiday to take breaks. It, it's, it's really important for us to have those, the space breaks, like I talked about earlier, but also for us to be at our best. How do we need to start the day that helps us be most engaged during the day? And how do we end? So we end, it's almost like having a good dismount at the end of a gymnastics routine. How how do we end where we feel like, okay, that was a great effort for the day. And now let me move on to what's the next part of my life that I want to focus on.
0: Exactly. And, you know, quite often I read about this is what I do in my morning routine. I think, gosh, that feels like work. (laughs) I don't know what you think about that. Some of those very kind of structured, elaborate
1: things. Yeah. So yeah, morning routine, we could spend a whole podcast thing talking about morning routine. At the end of the day, I tell people, do what works for you. So your morning routine could be a matter of minutes. I know some people who the morning routine takes them two hours. So it's what's going to help you feel like you can take on the day. So something that take might take a couple of minutes might be a mantra that you say. It might be a prayer that you say, or just kind of visualizing, okay, this is the most important thing I want to make sure I do today. And this is how I want to be at my best in performing that. So just kind of take a couple of minutes and think, okay, visualizing this is the most important thing and here's how I want to be. That could be a morning routine. But people, some folks like a more involved routine, which might include if you like to exercise Some folks like to do it first thing in the morning because that sets them up well for the day, whether it's walking, doing something aerobic, lifting, doing stretches, whatever works for you. could be journaling to set yourself up for the day. For planning your day, some people are fans of planning your day ahead at the beginning of the day. Some people like to do it the night before, whichever works for you. My point is there's no one right way to do a morning routine. Sure, there's books out there with, with their own special sauce of how to do it. But it's when your morning routine is done, you feel like, okay, now I'm ready to take on the day. And whatever you choose to do for your morning routine, what I advocate for is do your morning routine before you open up, touch your phone for the day or open up that first email. Because if we, if, cause we can get sucked into that and that can derail us. It's sucked into other people's agendas, other people's priorities, and we want to be able to focus on our own, especially when we start off with the day. We don't want to get sidetracked.
0: No, we want to stay
1: focused on the things we want as much as we can control to achieve that day. Correct. So that's what helps us to get started. and then, And then the end of the day, again, instead of working into all hours of the evening or Ending the end of the work day and maybe there's stuff you need to like kind of release or let go of or process before you continue the rest of your day. Again, whether you live alone or whether you live with others, have a way to kind of create some sort of buffer in there. For some folks, that might be taking a 10, 15 minute walk or for people who like to exercise at the end of the day. That might be the time you do exercise, might be playing some music. I'm a huge believer in changing your clothes, even if you worked in your pajamas all day change into another set of pajamas. Give your body the message that we're transitioning out of work and into another phase of our life for the rest of the day.
0: I love that. I mean, I'm a person who likes to get up and take my pajamas off and put on work clothes and be like, okay, now I've got got my clothes on that I'm working, and then switch to putting on pajamas at night. So that's my time I'm going back to bed. And I try to make that distinction. And I You know, I've heard this both from other people, too, that it makes us feel that we're professional, even if we're sitting at home in front of a screen. And I work from home. So for me, I need to make those distinctions, which were quite natural when you got up, got in your bus or train or car or whatever
1: and commuted. You got dressed for work. No, and that works for me, too, Clarissa. I agree with you. And I've worked from home for years prior to COVID. So. Yeah, there's something to be said. And that might even be part of your morning routine that you decide, you know what, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to, whether or not you have any Zoom meetings, I'm going to get dressed. And however I feel that what dressed for work is like for me, and that's part of your morning routine too. So when you sit down, you're in that kind of mental space of, okay, it's work time.
0: Exactly. Now, Chris, I know that you have been or are an MS sufferer. And tell a little bit about your journey and how that's changed the way that you have gone about
1: managing your life and your time. Sure, I'd happy to. And I appreciate that you use the word suffering. I feel fortunate in that I honestly don't feel like that I have suffered with MS. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in two thousand five. No one in my family had ever had that illness or anything remotely like it, so it came as, as quite a shock. And as a result of that diagnosis, I, you could say I was kind of woken up to my own health and wellness. I made several lifestyle changes as a result of that. And then health and wellness became much more important to me personally, so much so that I wanted to help other people create their ideal state of health and wellness. So I made the decision to become trained and certified as a health coach. And ultimately about three years after my diagnosis, I, I completed that and opened up the doors of my business priority wellness in 2008. So that's what led to the career that I'm currently in. And what's helped me be, and I'm fortunate to be relapse free now for over 14 years. And I believe what's helped me do that are a number of things. Number one, I think I feel like. Good luck <laughs> number two, uh, good genes, but then there are there are very deliberate things that I do to manage my well-being and for me it's a combination of actively managing my stress proactively and I try to do it well in, in reacting to certain unexpected things when they come up. Part of my proactive in managing my stress is I do meditate daily that is part of my morning routine and I do journal daily I've journaled since I was a child. I've journaled since I was 15 years old. So that's a big part of my life. I also am on one of the disease-modifying drugs for MS. The year after following my diagnosis, so I was diagnosed in December of 2005. In January 2006, I went to see my primary care doctor, and I said, okay, I've got this diagnosis. It's my intention to live a fully active, healthy life. What should I be doing? And she lined me up with all kinds of tests. So I often say 2006 was like the year of the lab rat for me, because I had a whole bunch of different tests that we ultimately learned. I was not good with gluten. I don't have celiac disease, but I'm I'm diagnosed as gluten sensitive. So I've been militantly off gluten since 2006. And then we learned I was deficient in a number of vitamins and minerals. So I've been on supplements prescribed by my physician since then as well. So. It's really the combination of all those things that has helped. And and I also think, Clarissa, I have just this innate sense of optimism. And that has carried me through as well, also. I often tell people, you line 10 different people up with MS, you'll get 10 different manifestations from it. It affects everybody so differently. There are mild cases, there are extreme cases, and there's everything in between. So my case overall has been... Very mild. I see my neurologist twice a year. I get an MRI once a year, and my neurologist says keep doing whatever you're doing. So it's all working for me, thankfully.
0: This is, which is absolutely great. But I, you know, what I sense when you talk about that is how deliberate you are, and you know, taking control of those aspects of your life that you can control yourself and then getting supported in the right way. So that that kind of blend of those is what's really keeping you well. And as you said, it can also be genes.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it's so important, no matter what our challenge is, whether it's a health challenge or some other part of our life, to have a team of resources that we can depend on and, and that can support us, whether that's a combination of professional medical friends family other type of service providers you know, i think we as women especially we try to take it all on ourselves and try to do it all ourselves and we typically need a a tribe to help us so that would be something else i would advocate and, and help to avoid burnout is make sure that you tap into the resources that are available to you and, and for folks who are even spiritually inclined tap, tapping into the spiritual realm there's that's an endless supply of abundant love that's always available
0: absolutely i i so concur with that and and i think for the listeners of this podcast who may also be going through menopause may be suffering stress and burnout that's that message that yes you can't do any of these journeys entirely on your own With a sort of stoicism, you know, I'm not going to ask anybody for help. I'm not going to say anything, but by taking, you know, action and, you know, I love that meditating, journaling. I mean, if that works for you, they're really powerful. But then also not turning away and saying no to drugs, but you having the right drugs and then working on, as you said, nutrition, exercise, whatever else works for you. So you have this total
1: holistic approach to managing whatever you're going through. It's so true, right? I think so many people are looking for the silver bullet, the single thing that's going to help. And it's rarely one thing. It's typically a bunch of different things. Again, I go back to we're not robots, we're human beings. And we're complex creatures. And there's not one right answer. I mean, what I love about my work is helping people figure out the right combination of things that works for them. And I often say, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to work for you. I know general patterns that that are helpful, that that help us and, and things that can get in our way. But the fun part is experimenting and figuring out what's going to work for you at this time in your life.
0: Exactly. One of the things that I know that you talk about is this time management and energy management. I'd love to, you know, we hear a lot and we have heard a lot about time management over the years, but I think energy management is now becoming much more to the fore as equally, if not more important. I'd love to hear some of your
1: views and your some of your thoughts around this, Chris. Oh, absolutely. So, time management is all well and good, but it's got a built-in ceiling. So, no matter our IQ, our socioeconomic status, what have you. We all have 24 hours in the day. And sure, there are things that you can do to become more efficient with that time, but that has a built in ceiling. Whereas if you focus on managing your energy, and I mean, and there's, I usually break energy down into four different buckets, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And number one, if you're aware of those buckets and then From there, look at, well, what gives me energy? What generates energy for me in those pieces? But also, what drains my energy? And when you're aware of that and able to manage it in a a deliberate way, it's like time magically expands. So I often look through the lens of energy in working with folks to help them figure out how to get the most from their day and perform at their best without burning themselves out.
0: Yes. That's so much, as you said, more expansive, I would say, than just time. And we can manage time and managing time is clearly important as well, in the sense that on a more micro level, we can't have more than 24 hours in a day, but we can arrange those 24 hours better.
1: Exactly. And I think the challenge that some folks get into is thinking that they don't have enough time for themselves or for things. And that may or may not be the case, but when was the last time you really looked at that and audited how you're spending your time and, and where your time and focus is going? But to really look at what's giving you energy, what's draining you energy, what are you what are you tolerating that's draining you? And so what, one piece of advice I'll typically tell people is on the time front, do track your time for a week. If you really think you don't have any time, I challenge you to track your time for a week and look at where your time's going. And you can put, you know, do it in 15 minute increments or half hour increments or whatever, but but track where your time's going. And, and I find that that's typically an eye-opening experiment for folks. And and then secondly, look at what gives you energy, what best helps you generate energy physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And also what drains your energy. And when you look at what drains your energy, what I typically suggest is is taking what I call the 3R rescue. When you look at the things that drain your energy, can you remove this the trigger that drains your energy? If you can't remove it, can you reduce it? And if you can't remove it or reduce it, can you respond to it in a different way? Because often our response, if we're not conscious of how we're responding to something, we're just making ourselves suffer even more. <laughs> so it's really important to look at how we respond to to a trigger that drains our energy.
0: And that's good. I think that's really good. I mean, I think there's so many important points there around that you brought up. I mean, first in this time, I mean, I think I'd be a very rich woman for the number of times I've heard but did women in particular say, well, I don't have any time to meditate. But it's so true. And then you could ask them, you know, like you do a time audit and then you realize that they've spent two hours scrolling mindlessly through Instagram or we've sat and watched Netflix or, you know, done things that they feel good at the time, but we haven't maybe made things that could do us more good a
1: priority. Exactly. Because we might be managing, we get into a time management problem if we're not aware of our priorities and what is pulling our energy and attention? So if we can manage our time just fine, but if it's not, we're not focused on the things that matter or the things that are most important to us. That's kind of a pointless exercise. So yeah, there's a there's a prioritization analysis. Maybe not as, as extreme as analysis, but really considering, okay, what are my priorities now at this point in my life? What is, what's most important to me? What matters most to me? And how aligned are my actions and behaviors with those things that I, that I say are important and matter?
0: absolutely and then again this part of energy not just and i think it's quite easy to identify what's draining us i think we we probably know that but when we look at what sustains us what gives us energy then how we can get more of that into our life and what has to give in order for
1: that to come is an incredibly powerful approach chris yeah and Often I find that something that might give you... And you can kind of get a, a twofer out of this, and what I mean by that is something that gives you positive mental energy might also give you positive emotional energy. I had a client who participated in her local community theater, and she found that that gave her positive mental energy from having to memorize the lines, but she got emotional energy from the camaraderie of her troupe. So you know, it's not like you have to come up with multiple things to address each of those buckets. You might have one thing that covers a number of them. So if people are feeling all wrong with, wow, she wants me to come up with all these different things. Well, no, step back and look at it. It might hit, tick a bunch of those boxes.
0: Yeah. And the three R's, I think those are worth, you know, in, in sort of engraving somewhere into yourself in some way. Because you're right. I mean, some things we can reduce, but that's not always easy if it's a person, is it, Chris? I mean, it can be people. And sometimes they are people in your own family that you can't you can't get rid of them.
1: No, we can't get rid of them. We might be able to minimize our interaction with and exposure to them. And if that's not possible, then our only choice is, okay, how do, how do I respond better to someone? Because ultimately, we're not going to change people. But how do we respond in a way that gives us peace? What gives us what we want out of the relationship, and in some cases, depending on the relationship, there might be some expectation setting that needs to happen or clarifying communication and what support would look like for you. And again, I hear this a lot from women—you know, their partner doesn't support them and or isn't giving them encouragement, or whatever. Well, when was the last time you explained to them that's what you need and what that looks like? Folks need to be told that and explain that, and when people aren't mind readers.
0: And I think that's where we're at. we're having to learn to, as you say, respond differently. If we can't change things, then we have to either respond differently ourselves or we have to ask for a different response from maybe another person or a situation that we previously have battled against or said nothing and put up with. Absolutely. So, Chris, if I could ask you, you know, if you had to say to somebody, you're on this journey towards, I love your term, burnout-proof living, what would be some of the key steps that you think are important in moving in that direction?
1: I think the initial place to start would be to look at, grab a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle and literally write down On the left column, do energy infusers, which are the things that give you energy and energy drains on the right column and just start jotting down. And it doesn't have to be a lengthy list. It might be three things, five things. Probably don't want to do more than 10 things because we don't want to overwhelm yourself, but then step back and, and consider what is it you're here to contribute at this point in your life? What is it that you are trying, want to accomplish? And now looking at that list, what are the top three energy infusers that are going to help you attain that? And what are the drains that if you removed, reduced, or responded them differently are going to help you most? And that can be a way to first of all prioritize, okay, this is what's important to me because this matches up to helping me be the best human being that I can be. And then from there, you can start to look at okay, now how do I, make, to what you were saying earlier, Clarissa, how do I make, what are the steps that I now want to take to infuse these energy infusers in more routinely in my life and to deal with the drains? And you might need to, the time audit that we spoke of earlier to help you figure out, okay, where are the, where are the places that I can put this in? The time audits also another way of seeing where your drains are as well.
0: Yes, you do that when you do that. So you get kind of a two-phase thing. I mean, Chris, this isn't a subject we could talk about so much because there's so many different elements to it, but we can definitely take a lot more control in our lives. We can, you know, change our relationships to tech, can't we? And we can create more balance in our lives, or maybe more harmony, as we said, in our lives and build up our energy so that we are... Getting
1: closer to what we want to do. We can. I, I think a lot of people feel helpless and they don't have a lot of choice. But the, at the end of the day, we have—we always have choice over our thoughts, and we always have choice over our actions. We might not always be conscious of that, <laughs> but it's good to remember that. Okay, I—you I, know—press pause if you need to. Take a few deep breaths before you respond. But you always have choice about what your your next action or behavior is.
0: Yeah. Yes, we always have. It may not feel like it, but we have. Yes. Chris, I'd love to thank you for coming on the show and love for you to share with the listeners where people can connect with you.
1: Oh, absolutely. The best way, I would say, is through my website, which is prioritywellness.com. And if folks like the tips here and would like to hear more, I actually have a free report available right on the homepage of my website. It's a report called Nine Mistakes That Prevent People From Burnout Proofing Their Lives. And if you enter your name and email address, I will send it to you and you'll be on my newsletter list called and my newsletter is called Energizing You, where you'll get future tips on helping to live in burnout proof and energizing ways.
0: I love that. So Those information and the links will be in the show notes for the listeners to connect with Chris and take advantage of that great free resource. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing these really thought-provoking ways that we can put ourselves in many ways back in the driver's
1: seat of our lives. Clarissa, it was my pleasure and I could have talked to you for another hour. (laughs) I enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you, me too.
0: Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes give it a five-star rating my mission is to reach as many women as possible menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions why do I feel this way thriving through menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom you matter to me your feedback opinions and stories matter to me and I would love to hear from you So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristiansen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, Christiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.